This podcast was made with Descript. Descript is a groundbreaking new media tool that allows creators to edit audio and video like a text document and create a realistic clone of their own voice for seamless edits. Please check out our Patreon at Asian Hustle Network. We want Asians to continue being meaningful and give back to the Asian community. If you enjoy our podcast and would like to contribute to our feature, we hope you become a patron. Hey guys, welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And my name is Maggie. And we interview Asian entrepreneurs around the world to amplify their voices and empower Asians to pursue their dreams and goals. We believe that each person has a message and a unique story from their entrepreneurial journey that they can share with all of us. Hi, everyone. My name is Maggie. Welcome to the Asian Hustle Network podcast. My name is Brian. And today we have a very special guest with us. His name is Dominic Zai, and here is his bio. Plans of becoming a doctor were suddenly thrown off course when Dominic failed the MCAT. And if you could fail while going the safe route, you might as well fail while doing what you love. With that in mind, Dominic booked a one-way ticket from Madison to Los Angeles to pursue acting. He managed to land a gig as Tang Wei's acting coach for a film in Hong Kong, but even that dream was short-lived, ending just a couple of weeks into the job. Taking things in stride, Dominic turned his side hustle as an SEO strategist into a full-time remote job while traveling to over 30 countries, reading, learning, experiencing. He's now the founder and CEO of a multi-million dollar marketing agency and a Forbes 30 Under 30 recipient. An unconventional path, to say the least, but it worked out. And by sharing life and career advice with the next generation of graduates, Dominic hopes to use his platform and its experience to encourage them to chase after what they want. Dominic, welcome to the show. Thank you. Wow, that introduction that actually Nancy, who's uh, I just told you guys before we started recording, but uh, Nancy did a great job uh, helping me write that. She's a much well, better writer than me, actually. Well, thank now you. Now that you Nancy. read it, it's, it sounds nice. <laughs> just wanted to give a shout out to Nancy. That's a yeah. very clever and very inspirational bio. So thank you, Nancy. Hey, Nancy, you want to write my bio too? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. She should make, should make resumes. <laughs> Amazing. So yeah. So thanks for having me, though. Yeah, I appreciate it. Yeah. yeah let's let's jump right into it. Um, you know, we'd love to hear about your upbringing. You know, where you were born, um, what your family was like while you were growing up, things like that. Yeah, upbringing-wise, I grew up in Wisconsin. I was born in Madison, Wisconsin. Uh, mom and dad were immigrants from China. I uh, had an older brother. Um, I'd say some of the things I probably remember the most is, uh, or like the key highlights, the the too long didn't read uh, TLDR is uh, my parents divorced when I was quite young. Um, they had a pretty nasty divorce. It was not a good divorce. And like, uh, it was very difficult um, for my mom to raise my brother and I uh, on her own, more or less. Uh, so lots and lots of respect for her and and also really just any single parent mother or single parent father. And and plus if you're an immigrant, it's like adds on like a whole, a whole nother level of complexity, um, to, you know, just everything. Cause you don't speak English that well sometimes, (laughs) you know, whatever it's not, you know, and the culture. So, um, that's really the upbringing in terms of, uh, how I grew up just hang, hang out a lot with my mom whenever she was not working. Uh, but when she was working or she was going to school, trying to get like a degree as a nurse to, to ultimately make money to support my brother and I, uh, I would go with her to the library, uh, play SimCity. So, I mean, it was a pretty normal upbringing when I was very young. And then as I got a little bit older, um, my, 
mom still was, you know, she, she got a full-time job as a nurse, which is a good stable job. And uh, her shifts were very long. She would work like 12 hour days. So that means I just had a lot of time at home. She never really had the time to look at my grades and stuff actually. So it wasn't like I had this tiger mom experience. I actually played video games all the time. Uh, and I like wanted to figure out how to build a better computer for as cheap as possible to be able to play more video games. So I would have like more like frames per second and stuff. Uh, so it wouldn't all be, wouldn't be laggy. So I actually spent a lot of time just like figuring out, like buying some computer parts, putting together some computers. Um, uh, and then also just playing video games. I got pretty good at some specific games, but, uh, that was the main upbringing, honestly, when I was young. But that, that that probably some of that stuff leads into some entrepreneurial stuff, you know, just I think probably started there just trying to make money like on the Internet, mm-hmm. like, yeah. you know, or like buying computer parts and stuff, selling some stuff. How early on was your entrepreneurial process that you could recall? Um, I mean, like, I think like many kids out there, I just, uh, you know, I just like sell stuff like on the side of the street. I sold like Oreos on the side nice. of the street and stuff. Um. Yeah. But but probably mostly just uh, probably the first exposure is just buying computer parts, mm-hmm. assembling them and realizing that I can make a profit if I just like sold like a completed set to mm-hmm. someone. So I just like made some friends on the Internet and like sold it to them, sold it to some friends as well. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's really cool to hear because yeah. growing up, like I was not like you at all. I wasn't entrepreneurial. Mm-hmm. I was actually your consumer. If you sold me Oracle for two bucks, I would probably buy for two bucks. You sold me completed. Mm-hmm. Completed, complete computer. I would probably buy the computer from you. <laughs> yeah, you need to hear this. It's awesome to hear like how entrepreneurial that you are at such a young age. You know. Yeah. Yeah. So, oh yeah. So, um, I know you mentioned you know your mom what is a nurse, and so you were you know taking your MCAT, and I would love to know like did that influence you to go into the medical field to take your MCAT? And did your mom have like a set of plans for you? Like, was she expecting you to go into the medical field um, to kind of follow her path or did it just naturally happen? No, there was no expectation at all from my mom or or really my dad as well. Like, I mean, I spent some time with my dad, but like there's no expectation to go to medical school. Um, I actually started off uh, college majoring in mechanical engineering, but uh, I took some of the classes. I think I got to a class, which is like the first like, class that's like filters people out i think it's called statics or something um and i was like yeah this just sounds terrible it's like it's like too difficult like too much too math heavy and then uh, i was like okay let's just like find something easier and then uh biology just seemed really easy because it was like (laughs) (laughs) compared to like physics plus engineering plus like calculus like combined in like one course i was like yeah this just sounds terrible um I, i wasn't i wasn't ever like that good at math so so I was just like, you know, maybe I'll just go like do biology and then with biology, I'll go a pre-med track because uh, worst case scenario, at least like I'm going to be motivated to get good grades. And then, uh, and then uh, worst case scenario, I have good grades. Hopefully I have good grades and then I can like do whatever I want, even if it's not medical school. So I kind of like self-selected that. And also I was just like, yeah, like, you know, Asian doctor. I was like, yeah, it's like normal, right? I should just yeah. major mm-hmm. in that. So. Yeah, I mean, did growing up in Wisconsin have an effect on you in terms of like owning up to your Asian heritage and your personal identity? Because I know you mentioned that. Yeah, you- for sure, hundred percent. I mean, like most of my friends were just very like Midwestern mm-hmm. dudes from Wisconsin. You know, like it's a, I, I grew up in a very very like, uh, you know, people are just huge fans of like Green Bay Packers, the Wisconsin Badgers, sports. 
um, just Midwestern. It was very American upbringing, pretty mm-hmm. much. Um, I didn't really have many friends that were Asian. Pretty much all my friends were uh, more or less white, I'd say. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, definitely. I think like for me personally, like I, I, it was nice. I had an older brother who like uh, who, who he's six years, six or seven years older than me so it was helpful to have someone kind of like as a role model to like kind of see like how he navigated through you know he was kind of like the guinea pig because he i got to see him navigate through like do all the dumb shit like dumb stuff (laughs) like (laughs) um and then i would just kind of learn from that to not do those things but definitely identity wise i mean I, i felt sometimes out of place for sure i mean even going to school there at wisconsin i did um and and uh I think that pl- probably plays a p- pretty major role into like why I started my podcast and why I actually went into acting um, at some point mm-hmm. for a few years. Yeah. So let's walk up through your, your journey. You know, you, um, after failing the MCAT, did you have, you know, I would love to know what your mentality was like after that. Did you have this period of time where you were like, Oh, should I retake it? Or were you just like, okay, I'm, I'm done with this. You know, I should probably focus on something else. Yeah. It's not what I want to do. Yeah. And some context is like, I actually had really good grades in university. Like I had almost a 4.0. I think I had like one B or something in four years. Um, and uh, so it's like the MCAT, I, I studied really hard for it. It's not like I like just like winged it, you know, I actually like really put a hundred percent into it. Yeah. Um, and then, so when I got the result, actually the, on the day that I took the test, I knew I didn't do well. I knew it already. Cause like, I had to like go to the bathroom and like pee in the middle of it. And like in the, with the MCAT, you get zero time. It's like so tight on time. That was like, oh, I got back. I took, I took like a minute. I got back and I was just like already so behind on like the timer. And so I had to guess a few questions at the end. I was, and after you guess a few questions, you're just like, yeah. I've kind of already like screwed this up. Cause the margin of error is very low on the MCAT for like the points. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyways, I wasn't that surprised when I got the result back, honestly. And then, uh, I think I got a 24 out of 45, which literally I think is like 50th percentile, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I was pretty bummed cause you know, you spent six, three to six months studying for something. I even did like a Kaplan course or something else. Like, um, I was a little bit bummed, but, uh, but, um, I was like, yeah, maybe I should just like study, like do the LSAT, go to law school instead. Cause I'm like less of a science person. I'm more of like a communication person. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I like bought a bunch of like LSAT books and I sat at the library for like a day for like a day and I like tried to start studying it. And I was just like, no, it's not going to (laughs) work. Yeah. And I also thought that I would have a better chance to go to like a really, really good university if I uh, did uh, law school, because I was thinking, I was like, okay, I have a really good GPA. And, uh, and if I can just do fairly well on this, and I have a lot of extracurriculars from like med school and I'm like a different applicant cause I didn't study like po- political science and stuff. I was like, maybe I can get into like an Ivy league or something. I was, and I was like, that'd be cool if I could like go to Harvard law school. Cause like everyone's like, it's like a running joke between my brother and I and probably many people where it's like Harvard or bust, you know, it's like, <laughs> gotta go to Harvard. Um, but, uh, it just, it just didn't feel right. I just couldn't get myself motivated. So I was like, I'm gonna take a year off. Apply to some programs uh, like Fulbright, uh, Princeton in Asia, uh, to go to go you know hang out in China. I really I studied abroad in China earlier, mm-hmm. so uh, I thought it'd be good to like spend some time there. But I actually got rejected to all of those things. <laughs> like uh, so, then pretty much I ended up graduating, and I was just like, um, I don't know. I just like didn't have anything lined up at all. Actually, I had like literally nothing. I just remember sitting at my friend's place that like they were gone for the summer, and I was with another friend, and like I was like 
cleaning people's houses for like $10 and like playing like video games and like making tacos all summer. I had nothing. Well, what year was this, by the way? 2012. 2012. 2012. I mean, that's probably when the rougher years you graduate. And yeah. based off your story too, it's very relatable to myself. You know, yeah. I graduated 2010 during like the whole recession thing. It's super, super bad. Oh, yeah. I a job. I found myself just sitting there as, as well, like a living room, like my friend's living room. Where I'm like, oh crap, like I don't have any, anything lined up after college. It's scary, yeah. you know? Because some yeah. Yeah, like yeah, a lot of other people had stuff lined up at least. But Yeah, um, it, it's scary. It's very, yeah. So similar to you, like also got really good grades, but somehow like yeah. the economy tanked. <laughs> yeah. even, even you get good grades, they have no experience. You can't get a job. So you're like, oh, yeah, wow. you can't get a job. You know? Yeah, it's probably similar to people graduating now, right? I mean, this probably is not a very yeah. good time like whatever but yeah. but yeah i mean so that was kind of it i wasn't that nervous though or anything i just kind of i guess i didn't just didn't really know what to do i, I was pretty happy just playing video games and stuff for a while <laughs> well i love how open you are um you know about mm-hmm. failures and just you know the set- setbacks and times where you didn't even know what you were going to do with your future well, you're so successful now <laughs> <laughs> and so it seems yeah like- it depends on success too you know like what yeah. will you define yeah. yeah yeah but it seems like you're very open-minded you know trying to get into the medical field and then on your way up to you during your journey you decide to go into acting and so um at that time you know well did you ever have did you always have like this desire and like passion for acting or was it something that was like very you know out of yeah spurt? yeah acting is interesting i did acting since i was in high school Mm-hmm. Uh, I did a bunch of theater classes throughout college. I did a bunch of theater classes. I did improv classes. Um, I was pretty good at improv, uh, and I was overall not bad at acting. Um, I would say I was pretty raw. Like you know, I just didn't have you know life experience. Acting is really like very tied to life experience. It's like mm-hmm. if you have more life experience, you're gonna be a better actor. Um, yeah. But because uh, it's a reflection of life. But. Um, yeah, no, I, I didn't, like, aside from that, I think it just kind of seemed like uh, something fun to do that uh, I was interested in. Uh, I had watched a lot of uh, Asian, Asian Americans that started to be, that started to surface in the media, <clears throat> not, in, not in anything mainstream, but I started to see it on, like, on uh, YouTube. Yeah, I remember I watched, like, some videos from, like, this guy named Kev, Jum- Kev Jumba. Yep, mm-hmm. Kev Jumba. Our favorite. Higa yeah some of those guys and i was like it's cool like i really like what they're doing but like uh i think i started to see that was i was graduating the year i was graduating it was like harry shum jr was in glee mm-hmm. and uh he had no lines but he was in glee uh, so every episode i was like i hope he says something because that'd be really cool it's <laughs> <laughs> so, like probably one of the, like few asian people on tv uh, and popular stuff so i was like you know it seems like like the wave is coming and i was like you know china's getting really big in the entertainment industry like we're probably gonna see a lot more asian faces because there's gonna be more market audience there that's what i was thinking so i was like you know why don't i give it a shot maybe i'll be in like right place right time mm-hmm. uh you know and also i think for like black african-american people like you know like they're um i was like maybe asians are just like the next like at some point people will realize that asians have like buying power to like watch stuff and consume content too the same as like black or african-american people do so like maybe though maybe that will happen one day where there'll be more asian people represented so i was like i just i should try to go there because i just might be in the right place at the right time mm-hmm. hopefully be good at what i do too but yeah 
I mean, I really love your, your can-do attitude. You know, you're like, you know what? This is a passion. Why not pursue it? And you did. Yeah. You know, so I love, I love the lack of mental barrier that most people have, especially within the Asian culture, too, because we tend to overthink a lot of things. And we think that since there's not enough reputation in, like, acting or Hollywood and whatnot, that we shouldn't pursue it. Mm-hmm. But that's not the case to you at all. So I want to understand, like, what was the thing that separated you um, yeah. that helped push you forward? I think um... – I mean, I think a lot about stuff too, but also I just, I think I'm pretty good at making decisions quickly. Um, sometimes you gotta just make a decision, but, uh, trying to think, um, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I think, uh, I think I just felt like the fact that there wasn't that many people yet meant that it's a good time to do it because you don't want to wait till something's already super saturated. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's better to be the one of the, it's, it's, it's a calculated risk. It's not like I did, actually, I thought a lot about it. I read the book, like I read a bunch of books. I read like at that point, Malcolm Gladwell was really, his books were really popular. So I had read like blink. I read like outliers. I read like the tipping point and like pretty much I made a decision based off of those books. I was like, okay, outliers, like it's right place, right time. That was like one of the premises of that book. Like mm-hmm. the, the, in the beginning, it was like, why are all the hockey players that go in the NHL born in the same like three months? Because yeah. like at that point, like they, they had, they, before the season, they're like the most like they've aged. So they're like stronger than other people. And then they're more confident. And then it's like, a, you know, whatever. Um, and then tipping points. I just felt like we were almost at the tipping points where like suddenly mainstream media was going to realize that like uh, they got to get some more Asian representation. Uh, I think Sung Kang had started to get some representation as well. Randall Park as well, just a little bit. He was just starting out. I actually messaged all those guys. I spoke to, before I moved to LA, I even talked to Randall Park uh, on Facebook Messenger. I talked to Sung Kang. Mm-hmm. Um, all those guys were super receptive to just like, I literally Facebook messaged them. Yeah. <laughs> so, and they replied. So it was yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. And so while you were in the acting industry, um, how, what was your perception on, because I know it's changed a lot in like films and and movies since like, you know, let's say 10 years ago, right? And so what is your perception on, you know, our progress on, you know, starring Asian actors and actresses in lead roles right now? Yeah, I think it's great. I think the, pro- the problem is that uh, generally if it's a really big global film like Blockbuster, um, and one, this is one of the reasons that I quit was because um, – Although they did try to, cast, they did start to cast more Asian faces. I just realized, look, like the studios, they're not going to go to like some like totally unknown. Um, I mean, generally, th- this might maybe disproven already, but um, but just like I just felt like they were more likely to cast someone that already had a big name in the Asian markets yeah. and attach them to a movie than cast a no name Asian American person because when you cast someone that already has the market potential, then you already are guaranteed like an ROI. It's a business decision. So when I realized that I was just like, you know, the, the chances are against me at this point because uh, unless I make it big in China and actually try to, I, I moved to China for two and a half years to, to, to go down that path, you know, as I'm, I was thinking like that, that maybe is the route I have to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know if that answered your question. Did that answer? I don't even know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I guess my second part of the question is like, um, what kind of differences did you see between America and China? Mm. Oh, differences? Well, it depends on if we're talking like film industry and entertainment industry or just on a whole, you know, just, just differences between the yeah. two. Yeah, I would say film and industry. Yeah. 
I think, I think in China, well, first of all, China is just the wild west. It's like everything is connection based. Half the time you don't even need to audition. Yeah. Uh, looks is much more important than your skill. Uh, this happens in Hollywood, I'm sure a lot, but I think for people to uh, get roles in China, there's a lot of like backdoor stuff happening, right? Like sleeping with someone, with a producer, that type of stuff to get. I'm sure it happens everywhere. I'm sure it happens in Hollywood. I'm, we know it happens in Hollywood, especially yeah. like with a lot of stuff that happened in the last few years. But like, I think it happens a lot in the Chinese film industry. Mm. Um, it's all about Guanxi. Like, Everything in China is guanxi. It's just it's just if you know someone, <laughs> yeah, or if you or if you can chu qian, which is you're the one that pays. You take out the money, <laughs> your producer, you know. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's a big difference, uh, you know. Also, um, they they can make more mass market stuff. It's like you can just you know make mass. They just have so many people that are watching mm-hmm. stuff on like the the networks, the you know streaming and stuff. It's like you can make a lot of really like crappy stuff and like still make money with it. Just have some explosions, you know, drama, whatever. Yeah, definitely. And all this experience too, it's pretty um, inspirational to hear that you hop from, you know, medical field Mm -hmm. to acting. And I feel like like, again, there's no barrier. So how'd you get into like starting like a marketing agency, you know, like what led to that that part of your career that led to you meeting so many people around the world and living a lot of different places. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I think the thing with like China was, um, yeah, I had where I had helped coach a number of different uh, A-list um, actresses um, that that you know, Tong Wei and uh, Zhang Yuqi. Like, uh, I was worked a lot with Tong Wei and and with Zhang Yuqi, I was helping coach her on a different movie and just hang out with her pretty much for like three three four four months or so in her entourage. Um, and she, you know, Yuqi is like she she probably was like one of the top ten A-listers um, in China. Um, so then I moved over to China to really pursue acting, but you know, I also, I also just needed to make some money too. It's like, you know, acting is very unstable. So I had always, uh, just done a little bit of consulting. I didn't, this someone, one of my friend's dads, pretty much I like one of my, I was visiting one of my friend's friends and his dad was there and I like his dad. We talk a lot about, you know, get advice from him. Mm -hmm. Um, I was like, I need like a job that like, uh, can like, um, that I can make money and be flexible. Um, and then I was ta- I talked to my dad too. And he, my dad was like, well, you should do like web design and stuff like that. And then my dad also was like, he was like, yeah, he's like, I know like, uh, cause my dad worked at a company and he, he was in marketing. So like he was saying how like they hire these companies to help them do like SEO and they pay them like a thousand bucks a month. He's like, maybe you should look into that. So I was like, yeah, maybe that's a good idea. So, um, I talked to my friend, another friend's dad, <laughs> all the dads, <laughs> full of wisdom. And he was like, yeah, like, um, he's like, Cause, cause he had run like a digital marketing web design company. He's like, yeah, SEO is good. He's like, you don't need to really have my concern of doing web development is I had no background in coding. So it's like, I, I was just like, you know, even if I learn how to do web design, like what's my advantage? Like, why wouldn't someone just go like hire some like kid and literally like some kid in India who probably is going to know how to do CSS and HTML better than I ever will. And, mm-hmm. and, and at a much more competitive rate. So I was like, well, that's off the table. But SEO is something that I could just do in the U.S. And it was more, um, it was not so much in coding, but it's more strategic. Mm-hmm. So I was like, I have an advantage because I can't outsource that as well. Right. Uh, so more or less, I had no experience, but I just like, so I got some contacts. My dad gave me some contacts, got some other contacts from some other friends, pursued them, talked to them. And then just sold like small SEO packages. I was like, yeah, I'll help you with your consulting. 
like 500 bucks a month or something. So I was doing that already for a couple of years, just making some money. And then, uh, and I think, I think at one point when I had really focused in on acting, like I really gave acting a hundred percent. Like I even spent a ton of time and money going to London and doing drama school there, uh, learning like Shakespeare. So it's, I really gave it like a fair shake. I like went all in, (laughs) but, uh, and, and I think when I went all in and after like a few years, I was just like, man, this is so unstable. I was like, this is so like, there's, I just didn't see the end at the light of the tunnel, the light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and in addition to that, acting is something that is very not in your control. It's so heavy. Like usually certain endeavors are a portion luck and a portion hard work. I just felt like acting was 80% luck, like 90% luck and 10% hard work and skill. Some people might disagree with me, but honestly, like after five years of really dedicating to it, it's just, it's such a, like everything is such like a crapshoot. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's so few opportunities and roles. But when you build a business, that's something where, it takes some luck, but it's also just like hard work and intelligence can get you pretty far. So I could actually predict that if I spend the same amount of energy and time investing that into a business, I was like almost 90% success rate. I'm going to do really well mm-hmm. versus acting. I could every single day spend all my time. And it's just like, I was like, I don't even know the things I'm doing are helping me work towards the goal. You're just like mm-hmm. literally constantly throwing noodles at the wall, trying to figure out what works. Um, so so I was like, you know, I'm just going to focus on my business. And then I fell in love with the business. I started growing it, doing a really good job. I had a knack for it. I was really good at sales. I'm good at talking. I'm good at building relationships. And, and a lot of those things came from doing acting. Five yeah. years of acting training, when you do improv all the time, when you're putting yourself in uncomfortable situations and you have to listen to people, you have to understand and uh, see the subtext of what people want. Mm-hmm. That, that's, all t- that's all stuff that, that there's no better training for sales than that. And also running a team, leading other people. Uh, it's all the soft skills that I learned in acting. I carry that over. And then really that resulted in the business. And wow. the growth. Uh, I really like hearing stuff like that too, because, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like when you become an entrepreneur, like you draw on every single point in your life mm-hmm. as mm-hmm. The, the starting block or the foundation block for you to, to do other things, you know? So when people tell me, oh, I wasted so much time doing this, I wasted so much time doing that, it's never, I never think it's wasting time. I think that you're building a skill set to do something better. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you're only wasting time if you're just, if people are just not, not giving it like a serious effort, you know, like you can't like, um, I don't know if like you guys like swear on here, but I just don't, I don't like to half-ass the stuff, you know, yeah. like, uh, like when I did acting, I didn't half-ass it. When I did anything, I didn't half-ass it. Even when I did study for the MCAT, I didn't half-ass it. I just didn't do very well, yeah. <laughs> you know? So, but I learned a lot at each point in time. And then that helped really just come together and, and uh, give the skill sets for something yeah. else. And, and that's a yeah. huge thing too, you know? Like you, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Mm-hmm. You know, the fact that you spend all your life focused on each thing, but you found you finally found a niche. Mm-hmm that you're finally yeah. good at, you know, you still, and then you have the work ethic and years of discipline yeah. Yeah. and knowing yourself and building up your, you know, your skill set yeah. that when you got to your right niche, you blew up. Yeah. You know? yeah that's a good point. Cause I always thought like the purpose of university and school, it's like, I, I don't remember anything from it, but I learned how to like make deadlines and work hard, I guess, and get, yeah. and how yeah. to get good grades and also college and university and getting good grades. It's a game. It's like, I could have had, a significantly worse GPA if I didn't know how to play the game. 
of like getting good grades in college. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, for example, if you want to get good grades, make friends with the person that gets really good grades and gets A's on every exam. Then study with that person, you know, because they're going to be like, oh, by the way, I have all these practice tests. I'm like, that's perfect. Let me get those. They can answer your questions. Uh, and then you get good grades. And then, uh, or it's like, um, sit in the front row with the teachers. Like if, if there's a TA teaching the class, sit in the front row, go to office hours because mm-hmm. the TAs are just normal people. And if you have questions that give you a lot of mad hints mm-hmm. of like, what's going to be on the exam, they're like, yeah, maybe you should look into that. You know, mm-hmm. it's a small yeah. extra things and they have the ability and power, which I realized to bump your grade up. If you're on the cusp, if you're at like a mm-hmm. 89.5, they can bump you to a 90 or like yeah. a 93, whatever. And that's the difference of an A versus an AB versus like an AB and a B. And that's significant when it comes to your GPA. Yeah. It's all a game. I mean, kind of curious too, like, you know, as you're transitioning over to your marketing marketing, marketing agency, what was that rise like? Like from mm-hmm. the point where you start picking up momentum and start to think that, oh, wow, this is be bigger than what I think it is or bigger than who yeah. I am. Yeah. And how, how have you seen it grow um, since you first started it? And were you working with, you know, partners or was, you know, were you yeah. just kind of like solely working by yourself? Yeah. In the beginning, I think um, the biggest like thing I realized in the beginning, it's like every deal was just really, really important. It was like life or death. I was like, I got to close this deal. Um, you put so much into it and like the amounts are a lot lower, you know, like it's like 500 buck retainer or like, you know, just some hourly work and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, the moment that I started to realize that it's like real is when we started to sell like one website for $50,000 and we did a really great job. And then we got like a $5,000 a month retainer from it. I remember in the beginning, one of my friends and business partners, he was just like, there was like a pitch call. Someone wanted SEO he was like, yeah, man, we got to like pitch like a $4,000 retainer. And I was like, no way. I was like, I never charge that much. Like I'd be like, let's just pitch 500. We're going to like scare them away. Now, every time we pitch retainers, it's like 5k. Sometimes it's 30k yeah. a month, you know? And it's just like, uh, but also in the beginning, you just don't quite, you have imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone has imposter syndrome. Like I was like, you know, it's not worth it. Why would anyone pay me 5,000 a month? That's ridiculous. You know, I'm not worth that much. Now, when I do believe it's worth it, it's like, cause I understand the value. Um, it's an entirely different story where I can with a very straight face, tell them that that's $30,000 a month to do these things because I kind of know, because I know the value that I'm going to create for them. And it's going to be way more than 30,000 a month. Mm-hmm. So that's when you kind of realize it. And I don't think, I think it takes some time to realize that it's something inner where I think the shift of not feeling like an imposter. Mm-hmm. And when you don't feel like an imposter anymore, I think you've started to become an expert. Maybe you've put in 10,000 hours and, um, and that's when it starts to get real and everything becomes easier because you, everything just falls into place. Yeah. Would you say you have like a set of advice for aspiring entrepreneurs to kind of get over the imposter syndrome or is that something that you kind of just fall upon? Um, the yeah. I think you have to put in, I think you have to really confront every single situation that uh, makes you a bit nervous Mm-hmm. not just in your work, but in your personal life and stuff like that, you know, things that give you some anxiety, like, I mean, acting class was so scary. Trust me, going up into acting class and a bunch of people that were way more experienced than you that work in the industry and putting up your scenes and your arts and just being judged, like pretty much you're, you're literally just like emotionally naked, like so vulnerable, just like everyone's just judging you. Mm-hmm. Um, that's not easy to do. And then you're listening to an acting coach that you respect tremendously critique you 
you know, so for years of my life, I was constantly just like in some state of nervousness, you know, um, performing in front of other people. Uh, I was never like a great public speaker. I was very shy, extremely shy. Um, and then, uh, but, but also by doing those things, you realize that you always come out alive and, uh, hopefully you come out alive. And, uh, and if you do, then it gives you the confidence to really, to really not feel like an imposter. You, I think the, I think that's just a balance, right? Once you start having confidence, you don't feel like an imposter anymore because you've already addressed the issues that are making you feel like an, an imposter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know? Great advice. Yeah. 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 So, um, we know that you've been traveling a lot. Um, we know that you've been in China recently, in Europe recently, and now you're living in Puerto, Puerto Rico. Rico. And so we'd love to know, you know, what made you go out to, you know, China, Europe, and what made you move out to Puerto Rico for the time being? Yeah. Um, so moving to China, or sorry, um, <laughs> I was just thinking, I just got distracted for one second because I was just thinking as a podcast host, like, Oftentimes I'm like, some people talk way faster than other people. And mm-hmm. I was thinking, I wonder if I'm talking way fast. Cause I had this one guest on Bing Chen mm-hmm. and he talks so fast. <laughs> and I was thinking, okay. and I was thinking like, I must be talking very fast right now too. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know? Um, no, you're good. But, yeah. But I don't know. It's just, I think, I think I'm just excited to share a lot of stuff. And, yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, We're excited to hear yeah. your story too. But, uh, yeah, so you mentioned so um, the path like going to China, Puerto Rico, the traveling through Europe. What what was the? Can you repeat like the question? Because yeah, I was yeah, yeah, just love to know. You know, you've been traveling so much, and I we know that you've been traveling to over thirty countries. And what brought you to, you know, these countries? And what brought you to Puerto Rico to live? Oh right, right now. So, um, for Europe. After China, I just had nowhere to go, <laughs> no home. I was just like, I was, I'm not working in this industry anymore. I don't like living in China. I don't like living in a place where it is so smoggy that I can't even go outside um, without feeling like it's like one day I like when my friend came to visit and there's like this like app that tells you the quality of the air. Mm-hmm. And uh, I just remember we went outside and it was, he looked at the app and there's just like, there's like different levels of like, you know, under 100, it's like, you know, smiley face, like 200. It's like frowny face. <laughs> I just remember he opened it one day and it was just a deathly skull. It was literally a skull. And it said, do not go outside. Cause like <laughs> the air quality is like 800 or something. <laughs> you couldn't even see. I was just like, I gotta get out of here. Cause I was like, it's just making me so depressed. Um, so, uh, so then I just left and I was like, oh, let's just travel through Europe. I work as a nomad. I lived in Berlin Mm-hmm. Uh, I spent time in London. I really loved London. I love theater. I love watching theater, you know, so it made a lot of sense. Um, but at some point, I think there's like diminishing returns to travel. Mm-hmm. At, it, it's hard to be very focused on your career and work and even personal life when you're always moving from place to place. You only get a, you're unable to get deep into something. For example, let's say I wanted to do get really good at jujitsu. Mm-hmm. You're not going to be able to do that if you're constantly moving from place to place, finding a new gym. Right. And then, then also relationships. Let, let's just talk about friendships. The, the, the depth of the friendships that you make are very shallow because no one's going to invest the emotional energy and time 
into becoming your friend if you're just going to bounce. And, and I'm not going to do it either, frankly. Mm-hmm. So, all, so everything becomes shallow. Your, your relationships, the things that you want to get really good at. And so then I was like, you know, I really want an end to this. I want to just like be in a place mm-hmm. and stop moving around. Um, so then Puerto Rico naturally came up. Puerto Rico is actually, a few people know about this. It's becoming more popular. Puerto Rico is a territory of the U.S. And that means that they get to set their own tax rules. So as a result, Puerto Rico set their own tax regulations where if you're a resident here, they set their own, you don't have to pay the federal tax. Puerto Rico has their own tax. Mm -hmm. And that's really attractive for people that have their own companies or their investors to move their companies here because you get a ginormous tax break. And what's really great about that is, A, you save more money because you're not paying as many taxes. B, for a startup or a smaller company, by saving like, let's say 20% more of your profits, you can reinvest that into the company without getting any external investment. And it's a lot of money. And then it helps you grow a lot. Right. So Mm -hmm. as a result, I've been able to really spend a lot more money creating new jobs and hiring people because I'm not paying like, I'm paying like 20% less tax or something than in the U S you know? So Mm -hmm. that's the reason why I'm here. And um, it's a nice community. You know, I can't complain, but yeah. 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 So, um, what type of advice would you give to an aspiring entrepreneur? Cause we have a lot of people in AHN, um, and we actually, we've actually interviewed a lot of people who are in the, you know, acting industry, um, yeah. in marketing, in SEO, um, and would love to know, you know, what type of advice you can give to, um, aspiring entrepreneurs in one or the other, uh, industries or just in general. Uh, I would say just don't, I, I, I mean, there, there's a lot. I mean, I think there's the things that probably everyone will say. So I don't really need to say those things again, like taking risks, like um, reading books, you know, reading self-help books, reading other things. Uh, I think probably one thing is uh, just making sure you have like, people really glorify like not sleeping and working so hard, pulling all these all-nighters and like all this stuff. I don't think it has to be like that. I think Gary Vee really glorifies that. And he's like, I worked my face off for 10 years and nothing <laughs> happened. I got nothing. It's like, are you going to work your face off? Work your effing face off. I'm just like, you don't, ha- it's, you have to work smart too. You know, like yeah. you, you can work hard, but work smart, be really adaptable. Mm-hmm. But um, also just as important, just as importantly, don't forget that like a lot of times, um, you know, as an entrepreneur, you're making sacrifices and those sacrifices sometimes come at the expense of your personal life and and other things, but just make sure to, uh, nurture your friendships, um, and your relationships and don't forget about those because, um, I don't know yet. I'm, I'm only 30, but, uh, most people from what I've heard say that your community and your friendships are probably one of the biggest contributors of happiness. Um, even if you have a ton of money in a company, like if you don't have any friends to share that with, like, it's kind of lame, you know, yeah. uh, I, I don't know, maybe, <laughs> but I think it'd probably be lame, but yeah. So just make sure to still, still spend time with friends, family. Um, don't, don't, don't just go crazy with like thinking that you have to like work so hard. And also people, <clears throat> people tend to like fall in love or like really glorify, like working so hard that they can't do all these things. And a lot of that stuff is just like, you can actually run a business and grow a business pretty, 
pretty well and still have like a life too, actually. Yeah. And it comes back to perspective mentality, mm-hmm. you know, like you're only limited what, why, but what you think is possible. And a lot of it is just breaking the mold of all these other people, of what your life should look like. If you can dictate a life that's well-balanced, be able to, you know, grow your community, grow your business and have a well-balanced life while being successful, you can. Mm-hmm. It is yeah, possible. for sure. Yeah. It's possible. I mean, look, I, I grew the business and I was doing two things at once, actually, for a long time. I was doing acting, I was traveling the world. I was still like more or less finding free time to do whatever I wanted, you know, but I, I would just get the things that were important done, you know, like, but uh, don't just don't forget to live your life too. 20s is a really fun time. Um and uh, I'm sure 30s is too. And if you're, you know, it's always a fun time, but just like, you gotta enjoy yeah. life a little bit too. Come back to you your know? 20s. What's, the favorite, what's your favorite country that you visited so far? Well, besides London. <laughs> because you know, I know you mentioned you like London before. Man, everything, every single one is so different. But I can tell you that recently I've really fallen in love with France because, uh, first of all, my girlfriend is French. So I spend a lot of time there. And when you start, start to spend more time in a place and you start to be able to take some classes and understand the language and yeah. like see the way of life, you know, hang out with her family. Like, I know we just got back from the south of France. Mm-hmm. And, um, hang out with her family. Like I would hang out with her dad and we would just like do like Aperol, like, like, he, like, you know, they, they, they drink like they have, it was just really relaxed. It's like, just, they just take more time to like hang out, you know, and it's yeah. a slower pace of life. And I really like that. Like, we'll like have a drink, uh, beforehand, you know, and, uh, uh, and the food is so good. Yeah. The food yeah. is incredible in France. It's literally incredible. So, so I would say, uh, recently that's probably my favorite place I've, I've been. Yeah, we like France a lot too. We actually were in uh, in Paris Paris, and London Mm -hmm. a week before the U.S. shutdown. Yeah. So we got (laughs) back. Uh, You got back. I was there as well, but I was, uh, did not get back in time. So I just stayed. So I stayed (laughs) in a Airbnb. Wow. um, Close to the Louvre in Paris for three months. Oh, jeez. Didn't go outside. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's a very romantic place. Oh, yeah, it's so beautiful. Of all the places I've ever been, I don't think uh, anywhere compares to just the beauty of Paris. Mm -hmm. Uh, I will say uh, I spent some time in Seoul, and that's a close second. Seoul is so cool. Like, it's just, I just like the people there, and I like how they do things, and uh, I like the culture, and, uh, and, you know, I'm sure you guys know food is food is amazing. So yeah, yeah. We were also in Seoul as well, and oh yeah, yeah. Um, it's we love the culture there as well, and it, we were talking to other people saying how it's like extremely safe and in, in yeah, that's so, exactly Seoul. right. Yeah. But when you come back to America, it's like your spidey senses go up, and you just have to yeah, like, it's so <laughs> yeah, just the people. It's so safe and yeah, exactly. Um, I don't know. Everything's just so like nice there, yeah. you know, and. Yeah. uh <laughs> yeah i don't know i just like korean people i guess i'm not sure <laughs> amazing well um thank you so much for being on our podcast today dominic how can our listeners learn more about you on social media or your website or um you know hear about what you're currently working on yeah also just check out uh you know my my, my own personal handle is dominic zai um 
So uh, Dominic Zaya on Twitter, Instagram. That's I just made a TikTok. Made my first video. Nice. Uh, We're also at us. Oh uh, yeah, I will. <laughs> uh, I like I like the platform. You know, it's it's so engaging. Like it's well designed. Um, but uh, also, uh, you know, the podcast is uh, why you know doctor. So you can go. You know, we have a Instagram which is w y n d o c t o r. So what you know? Why you know doctor? The abbreviation, mm-hmm. um, and the website why why you know doctor.com. I definitely check those out. Uh, but you know, I think that's really the the, the core of it. Um, awesome, great, awesome. So but, we uh, will yeah. leave all of those links in our show notes. Um, it was incredible hearing your story, Dominic, and just wanted to thank you for coming on today's show. Yeah, yeah thanks for having me. I, uh, hopefully, you know, if you guys visit, uh, if you're in Europe again, I'll, I'll be in Paris quite a bit. Um, we should, you know, if just to stay in touch, you know, if you guys are there, we'll hang out. Yeah, sounds great, man. Love to meet up sometimes. Yeah, thank you, Dominic. All right. Cool. All right, guys. Thank okay. you. Bye. Hey, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode. Please subscribe to the show. We would like to get to the top 10 on iTunes, so be sure to leave us a five-star review. We release an episode every single Wednesday, so stay tuned. Thank you guys so much.